This is Chanel Bunger with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Elizabeth Brill. Dr. Brill is currently serving as the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Dr. Brill, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Perfect. Well, let's get started. Can you take a moment and introduce yourself and talk a bit about your career? Sure. Um, I am an OBGYN physician by training, um, and uh, I spent the early part of my career in the military, having had an RTC scholarship for college and a health profession scholarship for medical school. Uh, So I did my early practice in military bases around the world, from Korea to Texas to Germany. And um, during those different stations, I learned many things due to the different sizes of the hospitals and, uh, and the different scenarios that I was working in. So for instance, in Korea, a small clinic uh, off of the demilitarized zone uh, where I functioned as a general medical officer. So really with very few um, lab tests or studies or anything and really had to hone the diagnostic skills of just asking questions and doing exams. Um, to being in large medical centers with teaching programs in the States, uh, and then working in Germany uh, during the uh, war and um, dealing with the uh, operational tempo of multiple deployments of medical staff uh, to uh, the war zone after uh, 9-11. So lots of uh, varied experiences in the military. After I got out, I uh, went and got an MBA at the University of Chicago and uh, then did healthcare consulting with the Boston Consulting Group and had a lot of clients in healthcare, but not on the provider side so much, more so in pharma and med tech, insurance, et cetera, which gave me a broad view onto medicine from many different aspects of it. Um, I then, when I completed my time in consulting, went back into the hospital, but on the operations and finance side, Uh, working in Chicago at the Northwestern Memorial Hospital System, uh, overseeing the operating rooms across multiple pavilions. Uh, And then moving back uh, to my first uh, environment of uh, treating military patients, but on this side of the VA uh, after a military service. And so I worked as a chief of staff in a facility, which is essentially the dean over all of the uh, clinical service chiefs and then worked in the Office of Community Care, where we um, actually send a lot of our care, 30% for VA um, uh, eligible patients out to the community uh, when we don't have the facilities or the specialties to take care of them in VA. Uh, And then into my current role as the Deputy Chief Medical Officer, where all of the clinical um, national offices roll up to me on the medical side, uh, meaning primary care, the mental health and surgery and the, all of the subspecialties of medicine, as well as special populations such as spinal cord injury and homeless uh, patients. Um, and I also oversee dental. So uh, over the course of my career, I've had the uh, great opportunity to serve in many different geographies, both within the United States from Chicago to Texas and outside of the United States. Uh, many different sizes of facilities from small clinics to large teaching hospitals on the government side and the private sector. Um, And then of course, in periods of stability and then also in periods of upheaval, uh, such as uh, the war in Iraq and uh, most recently the uh, COVID pandemic. Uh, And I was very active in my current role during the COVID pandemic, 
helping to um, create the VA policy around vaccination, uh, as well as planning for the endemic phase, and now working uh, a lot and speaking about long COVID and finding and screening and treating those long COVID patients. Uh, so that's uh, really a summary of my career. Right now in VA, we take care of about 9 million veterans uh, at over 170 medical facilities, um, and then a total of 1,300 facilities, which includes small clinics all around the country, and uh, even some overseas. Thank you, and wow, that's an impressive resume. And moving on, I know there's a lot going on in the healthcare space right now, but what are a few things that you're excited about going into this new year? What I'm most excited about is our opportunity to really leverage what we did differently during the pandemic. I think during the pandemic, we became a lot more nimble than we ever thought we could have been. Uh, we worked together and came out of a lot of our silos. On the VA side, uh, we have a health operations center and leaders from across the country have been coming together on a daily basis and uh, this really helps us understand where cases are rising, where cases are falling in terms of COVID, but we're also able to leverage that for um, sharing information across a number of specialties to keep uh, everyone across the country up to date on initiatives around uh, things such as suicide prevention or bringing new eligibles into the system, um, and also uh, able to really respond to what have been a great number of weather-related issues that have impacted hospitals. So that forum that really developed um, a great maturity in the pandemic uh, is something I'm excited to see us leverage uh, to really continue our business again across silos um, and in nimble fashion uh, and really challenging the paradigms that we thought uh, were really fixed in stone, but they just aren't. So I'm excited about operating in that new way uh, going forward this year. Thank you. That sounds all very exciting. Now, kind of apropos to that last discussion, what are your three top priorities going forward? Well, I think like everyone, um, one of our top priorities is hiring staff and retaining them. Um, we all know that many people left the various professions of medicine and nursing during the pandemic. And so, um, you know, focusing on hiring, focusing on retention, uh, using telehealth and telework opportunities to make opportunities for um, those healthcare staff when we can more appealing. Thinking about on the front end what burnout and resilience um, look like as now that we've seen this really, um, you know, at the forefront of the last few years and how we can get ahead of that and take care of our staff. So that's the first thing. Um, I think the second thing for VA in specific is uh, there is passage of an act, PACT Act, which extends our benefits to any number of service members who were exposed to toxic chemicals during their service. And uh, not only is this a wonderful thing in terms of bringing more people into the system and treating them for conditions related to toxic exposures, but it also is a very important learning paradigm for us in VA as to how to screen a population very quickly and get them to the right healthcare providers based on what we determine about, um, uh, about their health based on that screening, which we can apply to other things such as screening for colorectal cancer, uh, screening for long COVID, et cetera. So being able to um, you know, bring this PACT Act to fruition in short order will uh, will really um, give us the ability to do that in other 
grieving type conditions. And then thirdly, I would say, uh, you know, as a large national organization, we want to be able to respond quickly and in a standardized way to the needs to build facilities across the country. And so that's a combination of understanding what the demand is and the demographics and where our patients are moving to, uh, where folks are retiring after their military service, as well as determining what's needed from a facility perspective physically so that we're not building a new facility every time, but that we can come up with a standardized mechanism for building facilities and some standardized ways to assess which kind of specialties need to go into those facilities. So I'm working on a multidisciplinary team regarding to this facility standardization. And again, incorporating some of the lessons that we've learned from the pandemic, as you know, in years prior to the pandemic, the focus was really on downsizing the, the physical beds in hospitals and moving more to outpatient care. And I think that trend will still continue, but we've also learned that we need to be able to flex up very quickly when inpatient beds are needed. So that's another aspect that we'll bring to our facility standardization project is how to build what makes sense for the moment, but also to be able to react to um, predictable emergencies, uh, hopefully not too many and not too frequent, but we need to be able to respond. Perfect. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense with everything that's going on in healthcare. Now, you've had this amazing leadership career, what with your past consulting work, time in the military, and current role at the VA. With all of that experience, what are a few pieces of advice that you'd give to evolving leaders? Yeah, so I think first of all, I would tell leaders to look outside of healthcare for ways to solve problems. I think it's very enlightening to look at other industries um, because sometimes we can get a little myopic when we only look at healthcare. And so I'm regularly using examples of, you know, Amazon or my iPhone or my car service or airlines or, um, you know, what have you to help people think in a different way, to take a different viewpoint. Could a patient do this for themselves? What should they expect in terms of customer service? What should they expect in terms of speed? And once you get people out of the paradigm of healthcare and they look at non-healthcare examples, it can um, give them, a, you know, more fresh ideas of how to solve healthcare problems. So I encourage all leaders to think more broadly, look at other industries and see what that can bring to healthcare. Secondly, I would say that, uh, you know, we all, it's about change management. You know, we've all heard these sayings, change is hard, you know, there's nothing constant but change, but really we all need to take a lot of energy and think about and interact with those we lead to understand where they are in terms of change, because everyone is different. Some people love change and they run eagerly towards it. Others resist it. And you can't really get too far if you don't understand who is coming from where and why and what you can do to help them get to the next place where you need the organization to be. So a real deep understanding of your organization and where the pockets of resistance to change are and where you have uh, those who are eager for change and are willing to lead the way. I think that's really important. And then lastly, I would say for, for leaders, um, it's very important to understand that the skills needed at each stage in the journey change somewhat. 
And so whereas early on, you may be rewarded for execution, later on, it may be more, to, more important to be a listener. Uh, early on, it may be more important to be a very successful single contributor. Later on, it'll be more important to be a team player. And then bringing in the concerns of stakeholders, early on, you may be a stakeholder, and then later in your career, you have to engage stakeholders. So I think, you know, at every stage in someone's journey in leadership, they need to reassess what skills are needed at that stage, um, you know, find mentors, observe, uh, observe your environment, uh, spend time getting to understand your organization, and constantly add those new skills to your toolbox so you can continue to be successful as you move up and onwards in your career. Thank you. That sounds all very helpful. And Dr. Bell, I want to thank you for joining me today, and we'll continue to follow your journey at the VA, and I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you very much. My pleasure.